Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Liquidating on Facebook Marketplace. And she sold a VCR for $20. Can you, can I get, I mean, can you believe that? And I was just in disbelief. I was like, some guy, and he drove, so we live in Ashland, Kentucky. He drove from Huntington, which is about a 35-minute drive. And he drove to buy this VCR. And what, did you really? Wow. Because you just have like a library of old VHSs. Family videos, right. So I was so shocked because the superior alternative to VCRs has already been bestowed upon us right? The DVD player, the Blu-ray player. And I had stopped valuing the VCR at all. But what did we start talking about after the VCR comes up? Old family VHSs. I remembered growing up and I'm telling you that that VCR really ministered to me. And when the superior alternative came, I assumed that there was nothing good anymore from the old. Um, So I want to ask you super spiritual people here at Faith City, if you know who these guys are on the screen, and you can shout it out. You can put that pick one up there. These are the two dreamiest guys on earth. No, I'm just kidding. So three years ago, my wife and I, we bought a fixer-upper for $9,000 in our town. And this house was so nasty that we wore suits when we cleaned it. And I won't get into the specifics of what was discovered in the house. It was just a little two bedroom, one bath, you know, probably 950 square feet foot house. And we redid it. And the first thing that we had to do was demo. Okay. So if you notice something similar about this photo, who has Andy's favorite actress, Melissa McCarthy, in it. And this photo, that's my favorite actor, Brad Pitt. I mean, people say I look like him. I think I look better than him. He looks better in that hat than I do. My head is too misshapen. But does anyone notice anything similar about both photos? They're both holding what type of hammer in both photos? A sledgehammer, because they are in what stage? The demo stage, okay? So as I'm demoing this house three years ago, the Holy Spirit starts to speak to me about my theological journey and how a lot of the things I was taught really mess me up, put me in fear, terror of God. You you don't go near those who you're afraid of, right? So... I was never drawing near to God because I thought he had a belt in his hand, man. I knew what I did this, that week. And I started to think about how in about 2010, when I came into grace, understanding grace, that I started sledging. And what I know now was I was in the demo stage, okay? And a lot of the things Christians speaking in the name of God to you in his name said to you that you assumed was Jesus speaking and was 100% truth, guess what? They misspoke. That happens to all of us. And 
it's when you're in the demo stage, you're not necessarily operating in forgiveness and you're not necessarily thinking things through. You just want to sledge it all. I can't believe they taught me that. Over the years, I've realized people operate from the truth they're in at that moment. People make decisions from the truth that they're operating in at that moment. They say things to you when you tell them what you've been studying based on where they're at at that moment. And the temptation was to sledge everything that I was taught. Because when I came into grace, it was like this oasis that quenched a thirst that honestly going to church my whole life, the first 30 years of my life, never quenched. And so I was like, what? It's, it's because of what Jesus did? I don't have to earn it? I grew up going to the altar at least twice a month. I tell this story because it's so funny. My savior was not Jesus, it was my friend Miles. Because after a week of dropping 50 F-bombs and being mean to my mom and being mean to my stepdad and disobeying, I would come into church and sit down feeling guilty like I lost my salvation and then Miles would sit down with bourbon on his breath. And I would say, thank you, Lord. I am not like him. Thank you that I'm still saved. I'm not as sinful as him with bourbon on his breath. And Miles was actually my savior. The weeks that he didn't show up, I felt like I wasn't saved. But those, I'm telling you when he showed up, because I was caught in that mixture, right? Yeah, Jesus did something for you, but you also got to maintain it, you know. So when I came into that message of grace, the finished work that Jesus really did it all for me, I was like, and I enjoyed it for a while. And then I picked up the sledgehammer. But I've realized something about the demo stage, which is it doesn't take much brains to demo everything, right? But if you don't think about it a little bit, you'll destroy good plumbing and good wiring that you wanted to survive into the framing stage of your renovation. Are you with me? So when I went into this house, man, we're sledging, bro, and it was a blast. We had our suits on. (laughs) We had the big dumpster out front. And we destroyed some good plumbing and wiring. Because This was my first time, guys. I didn't know anything. I thought it was going to go like it does for the Property Brothers. I want you to notice something else about this picture with the Property Brothers in it. Either one will work. This one's perfect. When I was demoing, I was wearing a protective suit, not a $200 button-down. I never understand when I watch this show why I think it's Jonathan is always wearing these super nice khakis and button downs while he's demoing, but whatever. So I realized not everything they told me, some of it was good plumbing and wiring, right? But it takes a while. It's okay to be in the demo stage for a while and start sledging. But, you know, what if the house was totally demoed and ready to begin the framing stage, wiring's going back in, plumbing, new plumbing's being installed. And so the plumbers and the electricians show up and there I am with my sledgehammer still sledging. They would be like, hey, sir, like the demo stage is over. Stop demoing. It's become your identity. It's become your heart posture. And that's what happened to me. Around 2015, I was preaching grace in my town, which is incredibly religious. 
lots of fear and legalism. You should listen to the radio there. It's insane. And man, I was sledging. And I was still, I had not taken the time to heal from the damage that was done to me. So I know now I was at the beginning of an ongoing spiritual renovation. Now, I don't mean I was going from unaccepted by God to accepted by God. I mean in my thinking, metanoia. Andy and Kristen teach that here all the time. Mind shifting, it never ends. When I was growing up, repenting was wailing on the altar and making sure your cry was loud enough and enough people laid hands on you and then maybe God would take you back. Maybe. I went to youth camp. Man, they got me fired up for about two weeks to burn my metal CDs and stop cussing. And then guess what? Your, your natural willpower runs out. Then I'm thinking, well, I better go back to the altar this Sunday. Do you see this? Oh my gosh, so many Christians. So I understand that my demo stage, I felt like was justified, but now I'm healed from it. And I know, man, they were teaching me what they thought was true. I can't fault them for that. But sincerity of motive does not equal truth. I mean, I've said things to people in my life that when I look back, I cringe because I was so sincere. But what I said, oh my gosh. Ah. And I'm speaking in the name of Jesus into their life. What a responsibility, right? So eventually, it was time to start framing. So I'm not sure what stage you're at. I want you to know, first of all, if you're still demoing, that's okay. Enjoy the demo stage. It's necessary. You can't rebuild unless you demo, right? Even Jeremiah said there's, it's out of context, but there's a time to tear down and destroy, and then there's a time to rebuild, okay? Even Jesus had a sledgehammer in his hand with the Pharisees a lot of times, but he was also a carpenter. Paul is a wise master builder, okay? He didn't say he was a wise master demoer because he was framing. Timothy was his finish stage. So I want to go to the next uh, picture here. And this is a framing hammer. So those electricians and plumbers show up and they said, hey man, first of all, we heard you destroyed some of the plumbing and wiring. Now we got to redo it. Thanks. Because you were so mindless when you were in the demo stage, right? Which I forgive myself for. And you should forgive yourself for. But then they put a framing hammer in my hand and I started to build, right? And then eventually it's time to put your trim on around your doorways and your windows and the baseboard. And you don't need even a framing hammer because it'll put marks on your finishing touches, right? So you need a framing hammer with a smooth surface, which usually has even a smaller surface area. And each hammer progressively takes more skill to use. So when I moved into the finish stage, we were using finish hammers. So what is our legacy going to be? I don't want my sons and daughters to know me as a sledger. I want to spend my life framing and finishing a healthy spiritual construct for them that is continually getting healthier. And I hand that to him, and that way the generational progress is not lost. If the earth, if rest, we are restorers, right? So as we're bringing restoration to the earth, generational cohesion or synergy is so key. Young people, don't tune out 
to the elders in the church. Elders, don't just assume the young people know nothing. Our children teach us so much. And I'm thankful I'm open to that, but I didn't used to be when I was a kid. You know, and this is not, I'm not saying this is bad, but we had, the, we had the kids' table and the adult table. And now, I mean, Michelle and I both grew up like that, and we kind of like putting it together. And what we found is they kind of leave the adult table to go hang out with the other kids on their own volition, so we don't feel guilty about it. So as we're moving towards, we're moving on in this spiritual renovation, I want you to see that as you've been at Faith City, you are probably unaware but your level of human consciousness has been rising. You have come out of things like fear, guilt, shame, apathy. You've come into things like love, grace, joy, right? We operate at different levels of consciousness in different areas of our life, right? So I want you all to look at this chart. This was from an author named Hawking's. And this, I know those words on the left are kind of small, I'll read them. This is a chart of levels of human consciousness. And I want you to think about your theological journey as you've been here, your your journey with Jesus and how it mirrors this chart. Okay, look at the bottom. Okay, this is called out of the zone. Essentially, you're sleepwalking. Okay, so look at these emotions, shame. The gospel that I was taught and that the thing that I was made to feel growing up in church most was shame. Look at how low that human existence is. Think about how many people live with shame. That is the lowest human existence. Let Jesus purge that right now. I, f- I feel the Holy Spirit. I'll probably cry. I'm a cry. I'm a crier. Guilt, apathy, grief, fear. Fear. Everything was fear-based. Every doctrine was fear-based. We never had any security. Man, when my wife got pregnant with my first son, Harmon, she came and told me at five in the morning, and I immediately was so overcome with my love for my son. I had not met him. He had never done anything for me. He had never built a church. He had never gone on a missions trip. He never mowed my lawn and I could barely breathe because I loved him so much. I always wanted to be a dad, but they told me every Sunday the rapture was coming any day. If you're kissing your girlfriend in the back seat, Jesus is going to leave you behind. <laughs> you, it may not have been that bad for you, but We were so fearful of the rapture. And then the movies come out. The books come out. My parents were obsessed. Everybody was obsessed. And even though the books say, these are works of fiction, it says that on the back. I give them credit for putting that on there. Most of the body of Christ in America assumed it was true because it was the popular message. But it takes strength for you to walk in the non-popular message. But that doesn't mean you're not walking in the healthy one. Okay? So I was living in fear because of those teachings. In Matthew chapter 16, the disciples forget the bread. You remember this story? And Jesus notices. And so what do they start doing? They start murmuring. 
They say, oh my gosh, which one of you forgot the bread? He knows. And they assume that Jesus is concerned with their religious or their outward behavior. They assume that Jesus is going to be disappointed because of their physical action of forgetting the bread. And they start arguing among themselves. And they, well, at least I'm not the one that forgot the bread. Thank you, Lord, I'm still saved. Just like me and Miles. That's the fruit of that message. But Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not talking about you forgetting the bread, guys. Jesus was speaking, but once his voice filtered through their thinking, it distorted what he was saying. So you're not even hearing what Jesus is actually saying. You're hearing this distorted version of it that filters through your fear and guilt and shame and apathy. That's the fruit of what you've been taught. Not just and this fear is, is in multiple realms of life, not just spirituality, right? But Jesus says, guys, I'm not talking about literal bread. I'm talking about the teachings, the doctrines of the Pharisees. Watch out, because those teachings might leave you out of the zone. I, Jesus was trying to take them to a higher consciousness. Don't, lose me because, don't let me lose you because of that word. He's always taking us to a higher consciousness. He was trying to deliver them or save them into the abundant life, not just in the afterlife, but here, right? We don't need abundant life in heaven because it'll already be there, right? We don't need healing there. We need that stuff now, right? So I started to think about when I shifted into grace. Now track with me. Grace delivered me from fear, shame, and guilt, Now I think back and I was a happier person. Why? Because Jesus came and lifted me up out of the zone, right? Courage, look at level one. Courage, remember, we're gonna be at different levels here in different areas of our life. Courage, trust, optimism. Optimism, that was huge for me. I thought, I'm never going to get to be a dad because Jesus is going to come back before I have a son. You know, what's what's really the point of restoring the earth if God's just going to roast it, right? Logically, like Jesus, you got got to have better than that, Jesus. But I couldn't say those thoughts, you know, because you couldn't say that in church. So I was moving into courage, trust, optimism, forgiveness. Now, before we move on, I want you to forgive yourself. That's something I forgot to do. (laughs) I was forgiving my dad and all these people. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I need to forgive myself. Why do we remember ourselves last? I mean, you don't have to amen. I know it's all omies on that one. It's okay to take care of yourself and to forgive yourself. It's funny because as I shifted my eschatology... A way which sounds like something like, why even bother studying that stuff? But I'm telling you, when I did, it brought me out of fear of the end of the world and of the rapture. And I was living at a higher consciousness, and I was so elated that I could have a son, and I was going to raise him. And I was going to have a little girl, I hoped, which I had. And I was going to raise her. Harmon and I were climbing trees a couple years ago. And I was at the bottom because it, it started at a really high branch and he, he's got no fear. And I'm not going to instill fear in him. 
So, because I'm a loving father. Yes, sometimes it's wise, like don't jump off a building and stuff, Harmon. I'm not saying that kind of fear. I just mean, I don't want him to ever hesitate to come towards me. And he turns around and he says to me, Dad, we weren't even talking about this. I was looking up at him and he goes, Dad, I lived in your heart before I grew in Mama's belly. Five. And I said, you did, son. You did. I've always wanted you. Always. If we're going to have a great life. And I'm so thankful to be your dad. I'm thankful to be your little boy too, dad. Then he just climbs and leaves me to deal with that. <laughs> How unloving of him. So as I pastored a church, people started to come into our church that the religious community told us we should not welcome. It's tough having a church because your leadership and even you all sitting here are probably at a higher consciousness frequency in some areas. So you may already be at understanding, love, gratitude, joy, peace. So you're running your church because you're governed, you're operating at a higher frequency, but other churches aren't going to understand it if they're still in out-of-the-zone living. Out-of-the-zone always wants to pull everybody back out of the zone. Join me in my misery, right? So out-of-the-zone living, these are some of the fruits of it that aren't on that chart out-of-the-zone living is driven by the need to be part of a tribe, a group, to be the in while others are kept out. So think about the body of Christ. Think about the political landscape. Think about other realms of life. Because I believe the gospel is applicable to real life. It's not just an afterlife message. It's got to be employable now. And I believe that it is. So when you are living in fear, guilt, apathy, shame, you, the fruit of it is you want to be part of a group desperately. You want to be part of a tribe and you want to, your, your pride and your ego are fed by believing you're the in and others are out. Okay? And that is... Low-level human existence. I mean, that's just the, the, the hard truth that I've had to learn as well. Okay? Do you want to live at some of the lowest frequencies humanly possible? Or do you want to start allowing Jesus to take you to the better stuff? And I'm telling you, as you unpack, and I'm extra passionate about teachings and doctrine, as you unpack some of these fear-based doctrines, your level of consciousness is going to increase as a good fruit of that. So... This is actually an unconscious human existence. We are sleepwalking. You're breathing. You probably remember to pay your rent and your mortgage. But abundant life is passing you by, and it's probably not your fault. It may have been what other people did to you. It may be what they taught you, right? But you don't have to stay there. Absolutely not. So I encourage you, if, you, if there are some teachings you're still not sure about that are fear-based, study them out. Talk to Andy about it. And I'm telling you, as the fear leaves, your consciousness increases. You become happier. Okay? Is everybody with me? So 
we are actually born conscious. Can you go to that next one? We are born conscious and often are then anesthetized by the church. Now, this is not an overarching accusation, okay? There are so many good churches, and most anesthesiologists in Sunday schools don't know they're putting you to sleep. They're just teaching what they were told to taught and what they were taught as kids. So we can ascend and forgive them, right? But we don't have to receive the teachings, okay? You're not obligated to that. So we're born, precious little guys and girls, conscious. And then they put us to sleep. Jesus is ever faithful to come and awaken us from the slumber those speaking in his name put us in. Jesus often saves us from what we thought was him, but wasn't. But if you were taught it in a church building by a guy or a woman with a white square on his or her neck or, uh, yeah, sorry, I need to lift that up. Um, then you, we tend to receive that as authoritative truth, don't we? And if there are people we trusted, right? Family, friends, even, even family, it's harder to have your own walk because you feel like you're being disloyal, right? So, Another fruit of unconscious or out-of-the-zone living when you're in fear, guilt, and shame, apathy, is that you develop a kind of a blind-at-all-costs allegiance to your tribe leader. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church on that one. And so we're, t- we're talking about multiple realms you can read between the lines, right? So when the first time that I saw something in the scripture that was different than the president of my Bible college taught, I actually thought that I was like in danger of demonic possession because the teaching that this man taught changed my life and brought me into grace, brought me so much freedom and liberation, raised my level of consciousness. I was happier, more joyful, more understanding. And so when I saw something that I'm like, I don't think he's right on that. I see this. I was like, slam the Bible. Because I had not grown out of that blind allegiance to the tribe leader. Okay, that comes a little bit after. Okay, so your consciousness level is increasing, but maybe you haven't dealt with the blind loyalty. Right? So I took that to our, which it was my wife and my in-laws, her parents. That was our ministry team. And I brought that to them, and they all said, man, you need to watch out. Not my wife. I mean, she's super punk rock. She was like, I mean, she's like, if it doesn't work in the context of a loving father, I do not receive it in my belief system, and I don't need a scripture. That's my wife's theology. Very simple. Please don't quote scripture to her when she comes next time. Like, she's like, okay, would a a loving father and mother do that in a healthy family dynamic? No. Okay, purge it. Simple. Jesus introduced you to a loving father, and his revelation is the authoritative revelation, even though there are dozens of revelations of God in your Bible. You have to decide which one is authoritative, okay? If you put them all on equal playing field, it's extremely confusing to read the the Bible. Can I get an amen? You're like, which one is true? Jesus. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Moses can't say that. Jeremiah can't say that. Hosea can't say that. Isaiah can't say that. Only Jesus can say, if you've seen me, you've seen him, right? 
you know, with the female God thing, it bugged me the first time I saw the shack. That God, the father, was portrayed as a woman. And then it hit me later that, what is his name, Sam in the movie? Sam didn't need a dad. He needed a mom. He was so angry because his concept up to that point was God was father, okay? And he wasn't about to let a father who had hurt him in his perception come near and heal him. He needed mama. So God takes whatever form a given person needs. That's not heresy. Thank you, Jesus, for that. It is weird sounding because we've always hear father, father, father this, patriarchy this, patriarchy that. But sometimes you need a mom, don't you? Well, what if you don't allow God to be feminine at all in your belief system? It's tough. Man, powerful. Well, I think it's powerful. So I want you to, I want you to, I want to read these scriptures out of the mirror and we have them on a slide. Um, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1, 3, and 4. Okay, and I'm going to read this out of the mirror. This low-level, out-of-the-zone living was happening in the church at Corinth, and Paul was trying to deal with it. He's like, you guys are still tribal. You're still wondering, is Paul God's voice, or is Apollos? Blind allegiance to leaders at all costs. Even if Apollos had good, something good to say, because I'm tribally minded, I can't hear Apollos. Are you with me? I couldn't hear the, own, the very Holy Spirit trying to show me something in the scripture because I was so loyal to that man's voice. My father-in-law was extra scared. I hope he's watching Dave. He was, like, he was the one that was like, dude, because this man changed all our lives. Okay? So it says in the Mirror Bible, it says, that's a little backstory on what's happening. This is ridiculous. Who am I talking to here? Are you mere spiritual infants stuck in the soul-ruled mode of the flesh? Reduced to baby talk? Cooing sentimental gibberish about who your favorite preacher? I don't know how real I can get, but you could, you could replace the word preacher with politician, news anchor, anything you want. And ask yourself, be serious, because part of maturing, I've realized, is asking myself, like self-evaluating, not am I saved or not, but am I still tribal in certain areas? Like, I want to know that so I can grow out of it. Instead of discovering who you are in Christ, your heated debates and divisions prove that you are completely missing the point of the gospel. You behave like any other spiritually unenlightened person, religiously obsessed with petty party politics while missing the essence of the message. Oh, I think I'm bruised after that. Like, I'm sure I'm injured after that. But I want to know that because I want to be more togetherness-minded. Can you not see that it is not about Paul or Apollos Replace those names with anybody because it's, this is about the concept we're, we're grasping. So it's not about Paul or Apollos or any teacher you wish to associate with. We are not here to play the one off against the other in a desperate attempt to win your vote to join our group. Remember what the fruit of out of the zone, low consciousness living is? In and out. 
You're desperate to be part of a group so you can believe you're the in. And then you love, oh, you're not in our circle. But what's funny about Jesus is he's just so amazing. As we constrict our circles and exclude, he just continues to expand his. He even includes those who excluded him in his circle. That makes the world a better place. It is not easy when you were really hurt, but it does bring restoration to the world and you can model that to people in your lives that you do life with and your kids. And without you sitting down and giving them a sermon, guess what? You are imparting your spiritual health into them just by them watching you. And that way they don't have to undo everything and redo it like a lot of us have. Amen? So I want to just read a few scriptures here. I want to read Romans 14, 17. It says, For the kingdom of God, we know this verse, you could probably quote it without even going there, is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, do you remember what the highest levels of consciousness were? Peace and joy. Okay, so the kingdom of God is about high consciousness living, high frequency. The Christ consciousness. You have the mind of Christ. So you have that. There's just sediment sometimes that builds on top of it because of teachings and cultures and everything. And then Holy Spirit just cracks it off. And then you're like, why am I so much happier? It's good fruit, right? And you judge the tree by the fruit. Now I want to read Romans 10, 15, because I want you to show you guys what this word peace means in the original language. Because today is about moving towards togetherness. I intentionally didn't title it moving away from division because I think it's healthier to move towards something. Naturally, you're moving away from something. But when people see you moving towards or being for rather than against and away from, your heart posture is easier to receive. When I listened to my messages from 2015, I was against legalism and man-made religion. So many of the things I was saying, I still believe are true. But my heart posture, people sense it, right? So Romans 10.15 says, and this is quoting from Isaiah, it says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of Peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Now, that word peace in the Greek doesn't just mean an absence of war. It means togetherness. It means to be set as one again, to be remembered, as in you were dismembered and then put back together. So when we are representing Jesus, the kingdom people model togetherness not division. I know you have your views, so do I. But you don't have to be ruled by division. Right? You can go up to consciousness level 400 where you start operating in understanding. We could say empathy as well. Rather than immediately closing off to someone with a totally different background and different views and different denomination, different politics, whatever, you seek to understand. That sounds like the kingdom. But you know what? Anger is sexy and this is not. Division is sexy right now. Togetherness isn't. But who are we? 
We are kingdom ambassadors. So I'm so thankful you're at a church where he's walked you out of so many of those destructive, toxic things, but not just away. He walked you towards the real loving Jesus. I bet your relationship with Jesus is so uncomplicated now. You ever thought about how thankful you are for that? I do. It used to be so complicated. I had to remember everything. Fell asleep listing my sins every night. I mean, it was insane. Last verse, then I'll sum it up if that's okay. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 in the message. It says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are in your place in God's family. In the King James, it says, and the peacemakers shall be known as the children of God. So how are we known? By what we divide, by who we exclude, Now, this word comes from the same root, meaning togetherness, bringing things back together again, remembering. So as you start to shed some of those teachings and step into some healthier spiritual teachings here, you're going to notice that you might have a desire to bring people together more. You might not be able to stomach things that you used to stomach. You might find yourself want, desperately wanting to include people, maybe even you always have excluded. Don't be fearful about that, okay? You're moving into the kingdom. You are manifesting your mind of Christ, your high consciousness. You're living in the kingdom when you do that. The thing about it is, you may have people that don't agree with what you're doing, but you have to be you know, strong enough to know I know I'm walking in the kingdom. I'm going to do it, even though haters going to hate. You know what I'm saying? And as they constrict their circle and exclude, what do kingdom people do? They just draw a bigger circle around the constricting circle and say, I love you, even though you're trying to exclude me. Super hard. Super hard sometimes. But it will restore the earth. I know that's such a high call we have, right? Just restore the earth, guys. No biggie. No biggie. We got it. But a lot of it is taking people out of this fear and guilt and shame and then helping them. And they start to realize I'm happier, I'm more joyful. You know, this chart doesn't say it, but actually this chart goes up to a thousand. And do you know what a thousand means? Oneness. When you realize we really are one human family. Diverse, yet meant to be unified. That's the kingdom, man. I'm telling you. And it's awesome. Thank you all so much. I hope you enjoyed that. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.